Oh, man, thank you for that beautiful music, Pastor Raphael and Evelyn. Thank you for your blessing here as our chaplain at MEU. And uh, this morning, I have a message for you. I have a rock. You have a rock. All of God's people got a rock. Why don't we pray together one more time? Father, I pray that you will bless with the message that I share, that you will help me to clearly speak to every heart that is listening and will listen in the future on the uh, archived video. Lord, I pray that you will speak powerfully through your word, not by my might, but by your power and by your might. This is my word and my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I was digging in my garden just over the hill from where I'm standing on the roof of the Union Building today. And as I was digging there into the dirt, trying to build a little terrace so that I can plant my garden this spring, I came across a number of rocks I was digging and I kind of got used to the different style of rocks. There's sandstone, there's limestone, and there's some other kind of stones. But suddenly I, I hit with my pickaxe this rock. You can look at this rock and it's unusual, it's round, it's, it's kind of like an egg. And, and I looked at that and I said, that's not usual here. I picked it up set it aside, put it on the top of my outdoor dining table that we have there and let it sit for a few days. And then I got to thinking about that. I will take that to the, to the sink and, and wash it up. And as I washed it, I realized this is not your ordinary rock. This is a marble rock. This is made this similar material that those great pillars that you see in Byblos and other places here in, in Lebanon, those great pillars are made out of this type of rock. And, and, and I begin to look at it more. And as I begin to examine it, I, I noticed that faintly like old gravestones, you could see some letters on it. And I begin to get excited. Could this be something special? And so I began to look up on the internet and uh, send some notes to some people that I thought might have some answers. And I eventually began to wonder that if this is an ancient sling stone. And I was excited. An ancient sling stone. Sure enough, if you look carefully, you can see some letters put on there, and I began to find a story on the internet about how in the ancient Roman Empire, they would make thousands and thousands and thousands of these types of sling stones and put them into their automatic munitions that the soldiers would crank around, and it had a little sling on it that would roll these things down a little ramp, into the sling and the sling would sling those at great accuracy for a mile or more uh, across the way so that the enemy would be decimated. 
And I thought to myself, I have myself a rock. You don't have the rock. <laughs> and I'm keeping my rock. You're not going to have it. All of God's people are not going to have this rock. But it reminded me that there is a special rock that we read about in our scripture. I will take my scripture out now. And if you can do the same to Psalms chapter 18. Psalms chapter 18 that was read for us. Thank you, Marco, for reading it so well. I will read it again here if you do not mind. Uh, if you can look it up, Psalms 18, verses 1 through 3. It says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. You can't have a sling stone in your pocket without preaching a sermon about a sling and a stone. So the today's story, biblical story, is from uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. You all know this story. Very familiar story. How can you preach another sermon about David and Goliath? Well, I can tell you there's some powerful things. In this passage, as I was reflecting in the last few weeks about this, that I never noticed before, or if I noticed them, they became even more powerful. So today, I have a rock. You have a rock. All of God's people should have the rock. So today, let's go to verse 1. Now the Philistines, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to the battle and were gathered at Succah, which belongs to the Judah. They encamped between Succah and Ezekiah. In Ephesus and Damin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up to battle array against the Philistines. Verse 3. And the Philistines stood on the mountainside on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side of the valley was in between them. We know about mountains and valleys here, don't we? And a champion went out from among them in the, from the camp of the Philistines. His name was Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. We don't know exactly how big six cubits and a span was, but many scholars say that it's probably about nine foot tall, a huge guy mammoth guy now you've got to think there's a valley in between them and the valley sometimes is represented 
in our lives is the deep times in life, the times when you're sad, the times when things have gotten difficult. We've been through the valley. There's a valley and there's a battle that is happening. There's good and there's evil. There's something happening. And there are rocks being hurled back and forth, back and forth. Satan has rocks that he's been hammering at us, but God has the rock that's much more powerful. Verse 5, if you don't mind reading on, it says he had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's a lot of weight. I think that it's more than what most men could be able to handle. Verse 6, and he had bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and the shield-bearer went before him. Verse 8, and he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Why have you come to line up for battle? Verse 8 continues. Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day to give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Have you ever been afraid? Greatly afraid. Has the enemy made you tremble in your boots? Have you thought to yourself, why have I been faithful to this cause? And yet it delivers to me all of this terrible enemy that comes after me and terrorizes my life. Have you thought to myself, why have I stopped smoking shisha, not smoking shisha? And why have I lived this clean life? Why have I done all of this only to face the terrible things of the devil. Perhaps you have been in one of those terrible times. I've got another story about another stone that I want to interject right here because I think that it's relevant. It will help build the case that I will be building for in the sermon. You see, Ruth and I were missionaries for eight years in Indonesia on the island of New Guinea, on the Indonesian half of the island. And the first few days that we arrived on this island to be missionaries, just within a few days, there was something terrible that happened at our Adventist aviation. We had only been there maybe 10, 15 days when a bunch of men came and they began to threaten and breathe terrible things against Adventist aviation. Pay us $8 million. Pay us $8 million. 
We're going to stop your aviation. You have no right to fly anymore. Pay us $8 million for the land that you're on. Now, Adventist Aviation had been flying at that time for 42 years, and we had paid for that property many times over again because the same tribal people would come and demand more money. And at this point, the government had finally set into practice things that would keep us from having to pay again and again and again. And so we knew that we had a legal recourse. But anybody who's been through a legal recourse knows that it takes a very long time. So for six months, this battle between these local tribal guys and our Adventist aviation pilots went on, heated back and forth. In the meantime, we couldn't fly. We couldn't do anything. They had dumped bare, uh, whole truckloads of rocks and things on our, our airstrip and we couldn't go one way or another. We prayed every day, we prayed and prayed, and it seemed like things were getting worse and the grass began to grow and then to grow and then finally it began to become jungle and it went all the way over our heads. You couldn't drive out of the gate from the exit or the entrance into the campus you couldn't see out onto the main highway because it was so tall of jungle around. One day, one Sunday, I and the chief pilot said, let's go cut the grass there because every time we tried to cut grass, the local people would come up. But we figured if we did it on Sunday morning, everybody might be away somewhere else and we might be able to get it done. So we were making good progress when some of them got out from church. And I was out there with the weed eater cutting away and going back and forth. I can't hear anything. I've got the weed eater going at full stream. I'm going back and forth, cutting, cutting, cutting grass. When all of a sudden I look up and there's a man charging at me, telling me to stop cutting one of the tribal guys don't cut grass anymore we want money first but i pretended not to hear him and i raised the weed eater up in the air he bent down and he grabbed a stone a small stone about this size and he began to pretend that he was going to throw it at me but i raised that weed eater up and and you have to understand the weed eater is not one of these little strings. It actually had a metal blade on it. And so I went after him. Now I was uh, shaking and quivering, but I knew that if I turned my back, he's going to put a stone into my head. I said, Lord, help me. And the impression was keep running. So I ran a little ways and he dropped a stone and pretended that he was, you know, not so interested anymore. And so I thought, good, I'll go back to weed eating. I went back to weed eating and he found the bigger stone. And he came after me with full force. Now you have to understand, I can run. And I ran full force at him with this. And so we had this back and forth going on. By this point, I was getting a little bit frustrated, a whole lot frustrated. and. And 
I was drawing attention from all the store owners whose shops were on the edge of the airstrip just outside of our fence. And they all came out. There's my hair, my barber came out. He's standing looking and he's entertained. And there's the, the furniture builder where we had some furniture repaired. He came out, he's looking. There's the place where we buy our, our charge for our, our handphones, for our telephones to be able to call people. They're all coming out and looking. And I'm charging full steam ahead and I thought the gap is closing. I'm gonna get it before this guy manages to get enough strength. By this time I realized the man was drunk and I began to run after him with the weed eater at full rev. And I went after him and I caught up with him and he had suddenly big eyes and he dropped the rock and he ran and he disappeared down into the houses. And I managed to finish up enough to where we could come out. But I felt bad because I thought to myself, it won't be long, it won't be long. And the whole tribe is gonna come after us. Lord, help us. You know, in a couple of days, amazingly, as we prayed earnestly, in a couple of days, the, the legal situation changed and the policemen were, the entire office of police was changed and they brought out a water cannon and they brought out some armored cars and they began to protect us and they allowed us to clear the runway and just in a short time, we were protected, but the whole time I'm thinking in my head, oh, I've done the wrong thing. I've done the wrong thing. I've done the wrong thing. Christmas time came almost a year later and I was able to go with a group and we were passing out some clothes and helping the poor people. And one of the houses we came to, I noticed there was a man that didn't want to come out of his bedroom. And as I'm dropping the things there, his wife says, you're the one who came after my husband with a weed eater. And I was able to spend some time apologizing to them and praying for them. And you know, God turned uh, something ugly into something beautiful. Now I have a rock. And today I'm going to show you how you can have a rock. No, you're not going to have this rock, inshallah, but you're going to have the rock that David found in this passage. Back to our passage, Samuel chapter 17, verse 12. And David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem of Judah whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years. In the days of Saul, three oldest sons of Jesse had gone out to follow Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn. Next to him was Abinadab. And the third was Shema. And David was the youngest. And the three oldest followed Saul, and David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. 
And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. And Jesse said to his son, David, take now to your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the things that and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. What a time to greet your brothers. And he walked, talked with them, and there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them and all the men of Israel. And when they saw the men, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and will give his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the man who stood by him, said, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Think in your mind, if you will, about what David has written in the Psalms, the Psalm of David, Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3 that we read for our scripture. The Lord is my rock in whom I have salvation. What is David understanding here? Let's continue on in verse 27. And the people answered him in the manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and, in, and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. You're just a sightseer here, brother, little brother. You should be out keeping the sheep. You're nobody. You've heard the lies of the devil maybe in your own life before. The things that he says, you're not good enough. You're just a little person from a little village way out. You're, you're not good enough. You're just a farmer's son. I'm a farmer's son. You're not good enough. You've got this problem or that problem. You're not, you're not. The devil loves to remind us of our insufficiencies through people around us. 
But keep in mind that David in chapter 16 has already been anointed in secret by Samuel the prophet. Samuel has anointed him to be king. And the Bible says that from that day forward, David has been anointed in the power of God and he had power in the spirit. You want power in the spirit? You know, we can all be anointed by the power of the spirit. Each and every day as you spend quiet time with God and pray to him, Lord, fill my heart with your spirit. These last 10 days, the East Mediterranean region has been praying 10 days of prayer, praying, begging God for his spirit to, to be washed over us, to be changing our heart. God will give you his spirit. I have a rock. You have a rock. All of God's people have a rock. We have more power when we put our hope in the rock of ages cleft for us. Let us hide ourselves in him. David knew how. David knew what this enemy was talking all about. He knew that it was against the power of God. He knew that the that somehow Saul had forgotten about this power. If we read the story of Saul, we discover that Saul had at first been anointed by the Spirit. In fact, he had even, he had even been able to talk and prophesy some things before. If you read the stories back through in the previous chapters, you find that Saul had been able to go forward in power, but then slowly Saul had begun to think, I'm head and shoulders bigger than everybody. I am more powerful than everybody. And even Samuel, he did not want to listen to Samuel the prophet, and, and he didn't wait the proper time. Samuel had told him, wait, wait on the Lord, and he shall renew your strength. Wait, I say on the Lord. But Saul had forgotten in whom his hope should be. I have a rock. You have a rock. All of God's people should have the rock, the rock of ages. Verse 29, and David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as one, the first ones did. And, and when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, meaning this giant out there. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. I'm not afraid of him. I've got the rock. I'm not afraid of him. I've got the anointing. Verse 31. And when the words which David had spoken were heard, they reported them to Saul. Verse 32. And then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. 33. Then Saul said to David, you are not able 
to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. You're too young. There's another lie that Saul is giving. Instead of encouraging him, he's saying, no, 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 you, you wait just a little while. Simmer down. You're, you're too young. You, you haven't been baptized long enough. You're, you're, you're not capable. You're, you're, you're too small. You don't even have armor. Here, put my armor on. Maybe you'll be able to do it. So verse 34, your servant used to be, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the father's sheep. Did he used to? He was just doing it yesterday. And, and when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went after him and I struck it and delivered the lamb out of its mouth. And, and when it arose again, I cut it by its beard and struck and killed it. <laughs> Your servant has killed lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. You talk about my rock. You talk about my God. You're going to pay for it. There's something that you can talk about, but please don't talk about my God. I remember as a child in Tennessee, they used to have a statement that went something like this. You can talk about anything, but please don't talk about my mama. You see, if you talk something bad about my mother, you're going to pay for it. That was the gist of the story. Please don't talk bad about my God. If you've got something to say, don't say something negative about my God. Verse 37, and moreover, David said, the Lord will deliver me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hands of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and put the bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with a coat of mail, and David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk. He had not tested them, and David said to Saul, I cannot even walk, for these have not been tested. So David took them off. He took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones like this one. Five smooth rounded stones. Why five stones? Well, later in Samuel, you can find out that Goliath had four other brothers. So David was ready if the one got killed and the four decided to come after him, he was ready for them. Verse 41, and so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. Not one person, but two people coming against this little tiny shepherd boy. Verse 42, and the Philistine took with him, uh, looked at him and saw David and he disdained him for he was only a youth. There's that lie of the devil. You're only a youth. Ruddy, good looking. You haven't even got any sword scars on your face yet. You're not even seasoned yet. You haven't even been through 
this yet. Why are you coming against me? Why is, what does Israel even think they're doing sending this young man to me? Verse 43, and the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you and take you from your, your head from you. And this day I will give your carcass to the camps of the Philistines and to the birds of the air and to the wild beast of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I have a rock. David said, all of God's people can have the rock so much more powerful than anything that the devil ever feeds to you. Then all this assembly shall know that there is a Lord and does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. So it was, verse 48, that when the Philistines arose and came near and drew near and near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And 49, that David put, then David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it. Around and around and around, he slung it. He slung it into the air. It went straight. It went perfect. It went right in to the head of that giant, that haughty giant who was speaking the lies of Satan, that haughty giant who had been defying the army of the living God of Israel for 40 days. 40 days ago, God's people, Israel, could have had the same victory. But there was not one who had spent that time to be anointed by his spirit like David had been. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. No sword. You don't need a sword or a weed eater, or anything, you need God's power. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistine fell along the road of Shararim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. The children of 
Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and he put his armor in his tent and Saul saw that David was going out against the Philistine and he said to Abner, the army commander, Abner, whose son is this youth. And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. What a powerful story. What a powerful story. David is mentioned in another part of the Bible. Just mentioned, in short, in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 32 starts out and it says, you know, after all of this long line of, of faith story, there's Abraham, there's Moses, there's Abel, there's the various people. And finally, we come to Jericho and Jericho is destroyed by people who live by faith. And we come to verse 32 and it says, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and also of David and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the wickedness, weakness, we're made strong. Out of weakness, we're made strong. You see, I have a rock. You can have the rock. When you put your faith in him, even though the battle may be tough. But the passage continues on. Women were received, the verse 35, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Some were tortured, not accepting deliverance. That they might obtain a better resurrection. They've been laid, in, laid into the graves. I live next door to the graveyard. Somebody said, Pastor, why do you live next to the graveyard? You know, it's a great place. Because graveyard means resurrection yard. It's the place that when Jesus comes, I want to be near to there because I, by God's grace, inshallah, some of those people, all of those people are going to come up out of the grave. And then if, if by God's grace, I'm still alive and remain, I will catch up with them to be with them forevermore. I've got a rock. I put my hope in the rock. My faith has found the resting place. Not in a man-made creed. I dare not trust in anything but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Friends, I've got a rock. You need the rock. The rock of Jesus Christ. Jesus went into the rock on Friday afternoon. He went into the side inside of the rock. He became the very essence of the rock. He is the rock of ages. Why did he go into the rock? He didn't need to go into the rock, but he needed to go into the rock because I am not worthy of the rock. He went into the rock because he is the rock of salvation. He went into the rock to save you, brother, to save you, sister, from whatever thing that has kept you from fighting the fight of this good fight in full. He went in the rock so that he might come out of the rock on Sunday morning as the rock of ages cleft for you, the rock that is able to save you. No matter where you're at, no matter how small you are, whether you're a little shepherd boy or whether you're the king of some palace, you are not worthy. But he is worthy because of the price he paid for your sins. My faith has found a resting place, not in a man-made creed. I dare not trust in anything but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let's sing the song together, number 522. My faith has found a resting place in the rock of ages, clef for you and me. Just now we will sing together. Maybe if you're in your house, if you can just stand together with your family around you and we'll sing that song together. Father, we thank you for the rock of ages that is so solid and so able to help us in times when life is sinking, when everything is going down around us, when the economy's gone, when the sicknesses are, are closing in all around us, people are dying and Lord, we pray that we will not believe that Satan is more powerful, that we know we have a God who went into the rock and on Sunday morning came out of the rock so that he could give us the rock of ages, the salvation and hope that we need. Satan, Satan has been proved to be the liar that he is. I pray that you will help us to have faith, a little bit of faith like David did. Use that little faith with one small representation of your righteousness to destroy those who come lying and breathing lies against us through the power of Jesus Christ. Give us faith in him. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.